I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. Let me take a minute and tell you about Zencaster, the company I've recorded with for over two years. I also use Zencaster to publish my podcast, and I can use them for editing everything a podcaster needs to create a podcast. Podcasting grew exponentially in 2021 and 2022, and it's not slowing down. In fact, podcasting advertising was the fastest growing channel in 2021. Why am I telling you this? If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com slash Zencaster or click the link in my episode description to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. 15% of all active podcast creators, including me, are already using Zencaster. Go to wefunder.com slash Zencaster. Zencaster is spelled Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. There's no E at the end. Thank you. I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. Recently, I was contacted by Lauren. She's around 30 years old. She wanted to tell her story on this podcast, and you will hear it. Lauren fell in love with a guy named Max while in high school. She didn't know what she was getting into. Stuck into. Abusive guys like Max become well-practiced at how to manipulate and groom their targets. Lauren mistook Max's advances as love. It was not. Max knew just how to reward and punish Lauren during their tumultuous relationship. Let me add, like so many innocent young women, Lauren stayed in this relationship way too long. When it mercifully ended, she went on to meet a man she would marry. You will hear how that turned out as well. I want Lauren to tell her story. Here is our conversation. My sophomore year of high school, I had, well, I guess we're going for a little bit before then, but so I was living with my mom and my sister, who was two and a half years older than me. So so there's no dad at home? Yeah. So my parents got divorced when I was seven. Okay. Um, And so my mom, my sister, and I moved a short distance away. And it's you and your sister, and that's kind of it? Mm Mm-hmm. So I can see when you say that your sister went off to college, then that really tightened up who's at home. And then then you lose your aunt. Now, was it the same year, the same sophomore year that your aunt passed? or It wasn't. It was earlier, but I felt like that was kind of like my moving into, you know, slightly more grown up, kind of just grappling with the reality of loss and I don't know, you know, yeah. Important people in your life getting away. That's always hard, especially when it first happens, depending on your age and their importance to you. So exactly. Totally understandable. And it was my father's sister and there was some strain there where I loved my dad very much, was very close with him, but there was with divorce, there's always a trickle effect of what happens. And so there was already some distance. And then he also had a small family. 
So, you know, losing her was just like one more piece of a loss of him, really, mm -hmm. it felt like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my sister had just gone off to college, and so it's my first year ruling the school alone. <laughs> so now I'm a sophomore, and I had been enjoying school sports. I played lacrosse and volleyball. I felt like I was making a lot of friends, enjoyed doing lots of school activities, like going to the dances and different things like that. Mm -hmm. Then I met Max. He was a senior. Oh, okay. And... Definitely one of the popular guys. He was really tall. He had these incredibly piercing blue, blue eyes. Mm. Just portrayed this air of confidence that I would later turn out was all a fraud. But oh, okay. so cool and sure of himself. Was adventurous with just wearing kind of more unique outfits. Like I remember one of the first days that he talked to me, he was wearing cowboy boots mm. and I live in the Northeast, a pale pink belt. It was just like before guys would have ever even considered wearing pink, you know, this was not when it first popped on the scene. And I just remember thinking, wow, he's so sure of himself, looks so interesting. And I just wanted to get to know him more. And of course his cuteness helped a lot in that department. Yeah, I just was thrilled that he was paying me attention because I was so young. And, you know, it was just like, I had just noticed him walking down the halls and been like ogling at him as he walked past and, you know, with seemingly no awareness of me whatsoever until one day there was. What was the first meeting? Do you remember? I don't remember it exactly, but I do remember that day and that outfit was kind of he was walking down the hall with me and I just remember even just all the silly little kid stuff of just feeling so like proud and excited to be like seen in the halls with him. And he's just asking me so many questions about myself and already making plans to do something outside of school. With you? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And I'd say that my mom was like fairly strict, early curfew and kind of wanted to know who my friends were, who I was hanging out with. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that even as a teen, that seemed like quite forward of like, oh, we're going to hang out just me and you right away. So actually, no, now it's coming back to me. So then we went to just like this random baseball field in town, but he pulled out all the stops to, to impress me. There was like a dirt mound and he just like ran up on it and did a backflip. Oh, it was just like, okay, cool. So you're in cowboy boots and you're doing backflips. What other talents do you have? Yeah, you know, of course, I'm not driving yet. And he's got his own car. Yeah, it just felt very exciting and interesting. Put it on the good show. He picked you out. And this looks like it has, it has some uh, free road ahead of you there. Mm-hmm. Metaphorically. Exactly. Right. The day that like kind of solidified becoming a couple, if you will, was now in retrospect to think about it is kind of telling because when people say trust your gut, this is like the writing was on the wall so blatantly, but you know, of course no one would ever jump to this conclusion at the time. There was like this trail, but it kind of went behind businesses. You know, it was very secluded at first, right as we're walking towards it. He's like, I have a surprise to show you. As we start walking and we're a little more in depth in the woods, I'm start thinking to myself, oh my God, what if he could like kill me? I don't even know this mm. guy. Granted, we're high schoolers. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just like that quick flash. And then I'm like, ha ha ha, no way. 
you know, there's just that moment. And then he leads me to underneath this tunnel. He had spray painted our initials and hearts. And he fancied himself a bit of an amateur graffiti artist. And he had done this whole design on this tunnel. And I'm like, to be honest, I thought it was kind of odd. I didn't particularly find it romantic gesture, but I also did respect the fact that he thought of it and wanted to impress me. So I did still take away, I guess, what he wanted me to. But this is a pretty strong version of of love bombing, wouldn't you say, at that point? Oh, I mean, it was absolutely manic. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. way over the top. Sure. Super weird. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I kind of just relented. It was interesting because I definitely was like, this guy's so cute. But there wasn't, there was definitely some hesitation on my part. And I wasn't wanting to jump right in. Mm-hmm. And now thinking back, I, I wonder why that was, because you would think, of course, if you got this attention that you had been wanting from someone you have a crush on, that you'd be like, you want to date me? Great. But I definitely had a lot of hesitation. But then, I don't know, I just felt like he had done these nice things, kind of like an I owed it to him feeling. From the time that you two were paying more attention to each other to the time when he starts to spray paint the tunnel and do things like that. How much time are we talking here? Is this a matter of days or what is this? Truly days. This is pretty fast. The second time we had been together outside of school. Yes. When you say outside of school, by the way, is that during school hours? Is this after school? Yeah, after school. Yeah. Okay. You weren't cutting classes and doing this. No, but he was a chronic. He didn't finish regular high school. He had to do like GED type mm -hmm. of things. He had to go to like the quote unquote bad kids school to finish. The day in the cowboy boots, Mm -hmm. he was actually suspended. That's why he was in the hallway, because he had to leave the school. So that's when we were talking. was on his way out to the office. Okay, so you're talking, but is this when the relationship was starting to get going, or is this a few days into it? How far along is he's being suspended? That's literally probably one of our first interactions. We had talked, you know, like maybe once before that. This is so embarrassing to even now be like, this is truly dawning on me in this moment that like, oh yeah, that was probably the second time we talked. And it just shows the naivete of a 15 year old who thinks a bad boy is cool. Happens all the time. And my realization that a bad boy is just bad. I've bumped into enough people who have gone down this path as you have. And for some reason, it's just kind of exciting. This person is doing things that the square guys don't do or whatever they call them. And, you know, the guys who have their nose in a book, you know, you're not really ready for those guys. They might, they used to say things like, you know, you want to date the bad boys, but you want to marry a good boy. You want the stability later, but right now you just kind of want to, you know, set your hair on fire and race around. So, so he was a pretty good guy for that. Mm-hmm. Max, he's suspended. I guess he comes back at some point. Mm-hmm. But you're seeing him while you're seeing him while he's suspended. I would imagine, right? You're still. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. From there, like he just did a lot of the exciting, fun sports that I had always been interested in, but hadn't yet been introduced to. Like he was an avid snowboarder and surfer, and so I got to do those things with him pretty quickly. We became like quite inseparable, and it was just kind of wherever he was going. I was just kind of like the tag along. And for the most part, they were things that I was interested in doing. And so it felt really cool at first, but then it just kind of became 
me just following him around on his every whim to whatever he chose to do. Do you feel like you handed over your free will to a certain point in this? I mean, were you whatever he says I'm going to do kind of a thing or, you know, how much, how close do you get to having an equal say in what's going on and what you're doing? I've always been a very stubborn person. Just, I feel like I have a lot of conviction and very opinionated. And so I, there was definitely like a lot of pushback once we came to conflict points in the relationship. Also in the beginning, it was just like, it was fun to just be his sidekick, you know, and that was fine. But I definitely feel like it was a huge identity loss. And thinking back often, I'm like, who would I have been without this relationship? Because it did last for four years. So, you know, as time went on, definitely, I can't remember the first time, but more and more, he would start to be really controlling. From just in the beginning, it was kind of like a fun introduction. Like I was fairly preppy, I guess you would describe it as. And he had more of like a punk rocker style. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was cool. And of course, in those days, you're still figuring out your own style. And so he would basically treat me like a dress up doll and be like, try this on, get this, you know, and buy me clothes that were more suited to his style. But I had fun with that. And I thought that that was fine. But then little by little, it would be, well, now that shirt is too short cut, you know, it's showing off your stomach, then it quickly progressed to one time I remember he was dropping me off to school, which was less of a sweet gesture for a boyfriend to do. Mm-hmm. And more of a control thing of making sure that everyone saw that I was dropped off by my boyfriend and forcing me. So he was, you know, over six feet. And so forcing me to wear his sweatshirt, which was a men's XL, Mm. having me go to school in that instead. And then another time feeling silly, obviously, in oversized clothes and being like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he actually ripped my shirt. And he's like, well, now you have to. Okay. Mm. Behaviors like that started. And it would be anything from my clothes to even different friends we had. I adopted and loved all of his friends. At first, there was one that I didn't really like. I remember I'd complain a little bit about him. So that was a pain point. But then when I did decide that I liked everybody, then it was, I liked them too much. And why do you want to call them to hang out? Now I have a crush on those guys, apparently. By my senior year, it got so bad I know you've talked about the term flying monkeys before. Yes. And he totally had me in this warped sense of reality, telling me that I couldn't make eye contact with a single guy in school, which physically is almost impossible. Sure is. You know, I wasn't allowed to be friends with any guys anymore, but I also couldn't look at them. And then he had plenty of spies. He said, I have, I have lots of friends who know to report back to me if they see you doing anything. It was unreal because it was this insane grandiosity to act like he had this power. But oddly enough, he kind of did because there were times that something would happen and it would get back to him. And it could be so minor. And he would just ask these pointed questions that I'm just like, how could you even, like to even phrase that question, you would have to have known already. It's like his eyes are on you when he's not around. Yes. Yes. And so it was really like a ton of pressure and gave me such anxiety. I mean, to think about it now, to think, oh my God, how did I allow this to happen? Me, stubborn me, who will like tell you to the end of the earth, no way. I am looking down at the floor, not looking up in the hallway. 
wondering who who did he you know enlist to be my spies yeah wouldn't you say if there's anything typical and there's a lot about what you're saying that it has is typical but wouldn't you say that this type of thing went from being just so great but slowly it turned so many people have said that if that guy did on the first date what he did on the 30th date there wouldn't have been a second date so it happens very gradually there are things that like, oh, wow, this guy's special and he spends money or he has access to things or you mentioned the car or, the, or he dresses in a certain way. And all these things are kind of intriguing and kind of bring you along. And you don't realize that your world is shrinking while his has taken over. And the flying monkeys thing, I hadn't really heard that until about a year ago, although I know I, I think it's a fabulous term for for what it is. Mm hmm based upon the Wizard of Oz and the witch sending out the, the flying monkeys. and Totally. But it is so interesting to me and insidious how it works. It's it's really no different from the lead bully and his, and his guys. You know, his posse sends out to do all this stuff while he's kind of mm -hmm. back there. And they're, like you said, reporting in to what you're up to. And so I guess one thing I was wondering when he's dropping you off at school, what's he doing during the course of a day while you're in a classroom? So at this point, he's at the bad kids school, which you apparently it's optional to show up. So he was not really attending school on a regular basis. And then later on, he was out of school because he was older. So when he was suspended, was he out for keeps? I think that was kind of like the last straw. I'm not sure what else had gone on, but he did then. Okay. No, that's yeah. kind of like expulsion totally. at mm -hmm. that stage. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yep. Now, did your mother have a sense of him? And is she thinking things? Is she talking to you? Are you telling her anything about, you know, this guy is kind of out there? Or yeah. So how much are you sharing? Yeah. So this was tough. So I definitely, and this would be my big takeaway for anyone in a similar situation or, you know, wanting to protect themselves right off the rip. I hid so much. I protected so much and I don't really know what the thought was there, but if I... Now, when you say protected, you meant protecting his mm -hmm. reputation, let's yeah. say, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So I okay. would not share any of this stuff really with anyone. So she got a real version of, of him, not the true version. Right. But she was also very discerning. Her profession was definitely specific to having some good knowledge of psychology and you know, being able to understand and read people. I remember, so this was my first real boyfriend mm -hmm. and real serious relationship, you know, first sexual experiences. And I think because I was so young, he really used that to his advantage because of course, in my mind now we're like married. So I do think I protected him because I didn't want, I was planning to stay with him and I didn't want anyone to look down on me or dislike him, but definitely my mom could read people pretty well. And she, she was definitely concerned. And I remember she one time was like, had a talk with him and was like, you are not going to be having a sexual relationship with my daughter. This is totally not okay. And I remember her coming to me after and was like, he basically laughed in my face. You know, at that point it was very clear. I mean, he was disrespectful to her, me, I mean, no sense of respecting authority of any sort, you know, from school administrators to the police to whatever. But that was really it with her, I'd say. And then with friends, 
honestly, like, I think he just chipped away at them little by little. Did he try to isolate you from your friends? 100%. Yeah. And it became his friends only. But then ironically, like I said. It's interesting. I, I seriously had just done a couple of podcasts where this identical things same kind of things happen. Yeah. It's just incredible. And I think, you know, how these things just follow. Yes. And I think for me, it's interesting because sometimes people will find a lot of validation in hearing how similar these stories are. And for me, now I'm starting to feel that. But at first, I just felt like, oh my God, you think you're this beautiful, unique snowflake in the world and that your relationship, no one could possibly understand it. And it's, you both are bringing these different elements to the table. And it's just like, no, you're in a textbook narcissistic relationship. Yes. And good way to put it. Very good. And you're just like so many others. And this stuff that you think that they're doing out of love, but they're just so flawed and wounded and you can help them. No, they are just intentionally tearing you down little by little. Yes, they are intentionally. And that was really painful for me to come to terms with that. Because it does start to make it feel like everything was fake, that they're not even human. In the four-year relationship, when do you think the light came on in your head that this whole thing was an illusion? I mean, is it the, at the very end or year four? Or when, when do you start to catch on? I'd say year two. Year two? Wow. Yeah, still definitely later than it should have been. Then what kept you in? Because I was just kind of sad and lonely when I first met him. I feel like, you know, the excitement swept me away. I was really, you know, it was so such a great distraction. But then as more of these behaviors were happening, I was just like, this is not working for me. The number of humiliating incidents were getting to be outrageous and escalating. Can you give me a sense of what, what one of those would be? Can you tell us? What would be a humiliating incident in your mind? So one time... I'm trying to decide between the two worst. God. So one time we were going out with a large group of friends swimming. Mm -hmm. And there's probably about 30 people. These are all his friends. He was just disgustingly vulgar person. He would just swear all the time. He just talked so nasty. He was incredibly racist and just generally hated anyone who was not like him or his friends. I had, my sister must have been home visiting and I had her braid my hair because we were gonna be swimming and I have pretty curly hair and I just didn't wanna look frizzy and crazy. So I had her do little braids, kind of like cornrows all over my hair. And when he saw me like this, he just started calling me every racial slur you could think of. Mm loudly in front of the entire friend group and dying laughing and people were egging him on and he was telling me that I couldn't go to this event that we were going to. He didn't want to be seen with you? Is that the idea? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll be going home then. And But I had no car, so I started walking. And it was a really busy street. And so mind you, now there's like 10 cars loads worth of people. So everyone starts coming down the road in the car loads and everyone is like screaming out the window at me, but none of them really knew kind of what was going on. But just the energy of it was like, 
worse because mm -hmm. everybody's all hyped up and excited, mm -hmm. but they're just screaming at me and wondering probably why I'm walking down the street alone. And of course, I didn't really know anyone yet at this time. This was still pretty early on. Mm -hmm. And and then of course, I black out and repress the interim of how I he gets me back in the car. I am back in the car and he is ripping them out and oh, pulling out the hair ties. And I remember when I came home, my sister, because this took her a long time to do my hair like this. And she was like, what the heck? You know, like I spent so long. Why is your hair out? And I lied and I told her that it came out in the water. Oh. And yeah, that kind of comes with this territory. Yeah, it's totally. You're going to put it all on yourself, not on him. Yes. And I was just like, totally disgusted by myself of why why did I allow this at all why didn't I keep walking but I was like I didn't have a phone this was like before most people had phones and I was also late to the game I didn't have a phone I didn't have a car and I really wanted to do this plan it sounded fun and I was just like I don't know just get through kind of mentality and then just the humiliation around this treatment was just like I can't bear to share that with anyone. And then I, of course, just felt guilt for wasting my sister's time, hurting her feelings, you know? And it was just stuff like that all the time. And he just got his way in the end. Do you feel at times when he would do something like that? Because for some people, that would be it. That's the last straw. No one's going to do that to me. But do you think when you got back with him is that as long as he became nicer than you thought, oh, okay, well, maybe we'll be all right now. I mean, do you? Yes. So, of course, the second my braids were out, we had the most incredible day. Mm -hmm. You know, he was so sweet to me. We had so much fun. Everything was great. I was the world's most amazing girlfriend. So it was just these stages. And for a long time, I thought that this was what love was that you have this like huge blow up, but then the makeup is so good that it's worth it because you've never been treated better. This emotional roller coaster was awful, but also great because like you could never get more attention than that moment. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was just this really disgusting cycle. Yeah. Some people have said that there's just so much drama in these in these relationships. And what happens is that the lows are the lowest, but the highs are some of the highest. And especially when it's one of your first relationships that later on, once that one's over and now you get with somebody who could pull off a healthier relationship, that you hate to admit it, that in some ways it's kind of boring because it doesn't have the spikes like that first one. Yes. And yet this is kind of where it's at. This is where you're supposed to be, but you're kind of used to that kind of a roller coaster. So completely with Max, what kind of brought, if you want to go there now, unless you have some other instances you want to tell us, but what brought this to its conclusion and how did you get out of it alive, so to speak? Mostly it was very severe emotional abuse, but there were times that he had gotten physical as well. One time we had gone to a baseball game and it was a long drive. And on the way back, we had gotten into a fight. And But it was towards the end of the season, so it was freezing. And he drove the entire way with me in the back seat with all the windows down so that I was freezing. And he locked the windows and wouldn't give me any more clothes to put on. Mm. And then when we got out of the car, 
I guess I must have said something, probably in anger, that made him more mad about how rude that was. And he sprinted at me full speed like a football player and checked me to the ground. Oh, God. And so that was like the first really big physical thing where I was just like, oh, my God. And so I think that between that, I wish I could say that that was it, but it wasn't. It was really more he had cheated on me with a friend of mine. And, you know, later I found out he cheated on me a lot. But that time I found out about and I had tried to break up with him. And so I should mention we were constantly breaking up. We broke up, you know, every couple months Mm -hmm. after things like this. So I would like try to do right by myself and call it quits. Mm -hmm. Do it without him. Yes. Mm -hmm. But honestly, he would come for me so full force that it was like so exhausting to escape him. And of course, piece of me, like I loved him. So I wanted to believe the things he was saying. So I just allowed it. But also he truly wouldn't let me get away. And one time, even after we had broken up after he had cheated, I was driving with one of my friends home from school and he ran us off the road. Oh, gee. And Mm. then, you know, I had to get out and talk to him, which was what we were trying to avoid. By the end of that, we were together again. While we were pulled off on the side of the road in a ditch that he had led me to. Mm-hmm. And that's apparently how you win a girl's heart back. What were your friends thinking and saying at this time about all this? Shockingly, they were pretty quiet. They weren't getting you aside and saying, get some space from this guy or any of that? I feel like it was more of a lighthearted, wow, dude, he's like a psycho. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like a objective observation. And then it passed. So he's just Max being Max. And that's the way it is. And let's go do something else now. Yeah. Exactly. And like, okay, I guess you guys can handle this. See you later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just have a crazy relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, There was stalking. Was there stalking at some point with this guy? Yes. So then... So what would be a snapshot of what that would be like? Yeah, so luckily I did finally call it quits for real. And he was not having that because that would have meant that something was happening on my terms. And so he was showing up at the school in the parking lot waiting for me to get out. And so I'd have to like go out different doors or ask people to pick me up on, I'd have to walk down the street and stuff. He would show up randomly at parties that I was at, places he wasn't allowed to be. And then ultimately he broke into my house. He climbed up to my second floor bedroom. And this is still the house your mother lives in with you? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. That's dramatic. That's big. Yes. And so he crawled through the window and I was actually home alone, which of course he knew, and in the shower. Oh. And gee. he came into the bathroom and just ripped the shower curtain over open and was, you know, begging me to be back with him. And that was kind of like the final straw. I had already decided, but you know, there were so many times in our relationship that I should have called the police on him. And, but I, again, I was always, I never wanted him to be in trouble. I just wanted him to leave me. Can I swear? (laughs) I just wanted him to leave me the heck alone. (laughs) That was a mild version. Yes. Yeah. So. (laughs) Some other people have broken ground in that area of language before you. So, so feel free. Okay. Thank you. And so, yeah, it was really just so important to me to, you know, not ruin his life. But for me to not let him continue ruining mine. Yes. But that day I was just like, 
get out of my fucking life. Yes. And so I called the police and he was standing right there and he actually didn't believe me till he took the receiver from me and heard that the police were coming. And so at that point he was, you know, furious with me, reminded me that he had a pot in his car and that I'm going to get him in so much trouble. And so he flew away from my house as fast as he could. And from there, I was then punished with more stalking and they weren't able to catch him or do anything, I guess. I don't know how that's a thing. Mm -hmm. But then he came back and he actually threw a rock through my car windshield. Oh. The back windshield. Mm -hmm. And that's while it was in my garage. So that was like really scary. Again, called the police. Were you in the car at that time? No. Okay. And so the police weren't able to do anything on that end. Mm Mm-hmm. And by now he had replaced me and had a new girlfriend who was equally as vicious as he was. Oh, really? She was, huh? Mm -hmm. And sometimes when these happen, the guy goes and tries to replicate you. Mm -hmm. Find somebody looks like you. Yeah, she did look like me. Mm -hmm. Did she? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so by this point, I'm 19. So the four years had passed, 15 to 19, in a hairdressing school. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. But at this point, my dad is really sick and dies of cancer. Oh, wow. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm so sorry. Thank you. You would think once this trickled back that like any sane human being would maybe be like, okay, that's enough. Yeah, let up. Let up now. But instead, he wrote horrible, horrible things about my dad. And I mean, just like so disgusting. It's unrepeatable really awful. And so I ultimately had to get a restraining order. How'd that work? Equally terrible. So, I mean, luckily I was able to get one, but I had to, it was re-victimizing. I had to stand there. First of all, I was there. I actually reread my journal so that I could kind of jog my memory for this. You know, I couldn't read my journal from when we were together because he actually found that after scouring my house so that he could be in control of every element of my life. And so I actually threw it away so he couldn't read it but my journal after we broke up I did keep we were there for four hours in court and I had to go in front of the judge but this wasn't like in the movies where you go in front of the judge and you're in a private room this was in front of 50 people and I had to say but 50 people with all these other cases you mean their own issues yeah yeah so they're all waiting for their turn and I had to go through and like prove that it was bad enough and whatever i said at first i guess was too vague and so i had to go in depth saying specific lines specific actions he had done to justify why i needed this and that was just so humiliating again and he had showed up with the girlfriend and he didn't even stay he left and that wasn't grounds enough he was in the courtroom too he was in the courtroom He was in the waiting area, but by the time, because it had taken so long, he left before I was even on the stand. Because I thought when people went to get restraining orders, you'd kind of go on your own and you'd kind of say, here's what's going on, all that, and the judge would issue it, and then someone would serve it. So the guy wouldn't even know it's in process and it's going to be coming his way someday. But You would think that would be the much safer thing. It made no sense because it's like, okay, I feel that I'm in danger. So let's have these two people meet up, know exactly where I am. So I don't, you know. But who let them know that you would be there? He had to like argue his case or something, I guess. Oh. 
Yeah. So he, he was alerted by the court. But you did get the paper anyway. But I did get it. Yes. And then someone else served it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Not you. Okay. Right. Yeah. And it did no good anyway. It's just a piece of paper. Of course. Yep. Yeah. I've only heard that every time I've heard about a restraining order. So right. I'm not a big fan. Mm -hmm. And usually what it does is just sets a fire underneath the guy that's doing this in the first place. Of course, because it's like, oh, what you're doing is working. You're getting a huge rise out of me. It's getting you so bad that now you're trying to bring the law into it or you're trying to sully my sullied reputation even more. Exactly. What brought this to an end with this Max person? So I will say, shockingly, he backed off a bit, but I think it was because he just had this new life going. He got that new girlfriend pregnant, and he had a second-degree strangulation assault charge against her while she was pregnant. Oh. And now he has either four or five children and has been in and out of jail. Mm. I remember in the moment thinking, like, yeah, it's bad, but he wouldn't, like, really, really hurt me. Yes, he's definitely hurting me, but you just never think it's going to get to the level that it does. And this just is a clear example of how much he escalated. I mean, he was a child when I met him mm -hmm, sure. and he was that bad at 17, you know, so it's, it's only gotten worse through the years. You've carried him with you really all these years, I would think. Totally. That experience stays with you. You don't, you take that the distance, right? Mm -hmm. And it's horrible. I hated how much it defined me, you know? It owns you, you know, it really, it can own you. He eventually gets out of the picture here. And so then what? You eventually meet someone else or, or a number a number of someone else's? How's that go? Ironically, it flew right into the next. So I got a job working at a restaurant and it was kind of my first chance to like be myself. But I decided I'm not gonna be as scared anymore. So before the restraining order, I was just not sharing as much with him. Whereas normally I would confess everything, but I'm like, you know what? I am gonna go out with these friends and I'm gonna say that I'm at my dad's house you know, kind of a thing. So there was boys and girls in the group of friends at this new restaurant. We were just having so much fun. It just felt so nice to be free and to not be tracked. And there was a guy who I did kind of have a crush on in the group. Mm -hmm. I remember one day as we were, he and I were working together, I looked outside and now this is post restraining order and I had a bouquet of roses on my car. And everyone's just like dying laughing and being like, whose car is that? Whose car is that? And I had filled a couple people in on what was happening. And so he, I remember, thought it was like the funniest thing in the world. And I'm like, not really funny. You know, this is like really getting old. I was attracted to this guy. Um, the roses were from Max though, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So Max had left these roses on my car as, you know, like a final gesture. He just kept trying. Mm-hmm. But, you know, anonymously, so he couldn't actually get in trouble. Right. Okay. Okay. So you meet now yeah. you're meeting and focusing on this other guy at the restaurant. Yes, okay. exactly. And so Ryan seemed like he was like an exact opposite. He seemed to really have his life together. He was at this point, probably similar age to Max, but he lived on his own. He wasn't supported by his family. He had been working all of his teen years and into now and just seemed to really have it more together and was just so carefree, spontaneous and fun and just seemingly really lighthearted. It was almost to an extreme ex extent of being like rather aloof where I'm like, oh, he's not even like that interested in me, which was appealing in comparison to this 
obsessive man who just would not leave me alone. Mm -hmm, right. And so a little bit of him playing hard to get was fun instead. And so I'd say the first day that I met him, I remember they had just done a work competition of kind of like superlatives. And he comes up to me and he goes, hi, I'm Ryan. And I just won most fun to work with. And he just had this charisma. He was just like so cool, fun. He was cute, just came off with such confidence. And I'm just like, that guy is awesome. I want to hang out with him more. The first time we hung out, his apartment was spotless. Everything was white. I remember it was like a hotel. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a 23-year-old guy with a white hotel-like apartment. I'm like, jackpot. This is amazing. Like, he is an adult. That's what an adult means. <laughs> You're doing everything great. This is a big upgrade. for. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. Yes. Honestly, we had so many fun, blissful years together mm -hmm. of just having, we would always say, we actually had that moment that you were just describing of like, is this boring or is this just healthy? Because he had told me he was coming out of kind of a psychotic relationship too. So we're like, no, I think this is just like what normal relationships look like. It's okay to have a day where like, oh, this is kind of dull. And that's how lovely to have a dull day, you know? Nothing explodes. Yes. Exactly. You know, I'd say we would always do so many fun things and have a blast. And we had so many similar interests and there was none of the jealousy stuff. I maintained a large group of male friends that he just fit right in with, had no problem and no issues with any of that. Good. So then it was, you know, it all seemed so great. And when we had been together about seven years, he proposed. Seven years. Mm -hmm. And so we always joked we were the slow cooker of love. We put it in eight to 10 years later. It's looking good. We're ready to go. And so it just seemed like I was not about to make a mistake. I really wanted to give it sufficient time to know what I was getting into. And that felt so great. And it seemed like all of our goals aligned and we were supporting each other and it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And we got married and it stayed wonderful. There were definitely little things that I could always tell that were off, but again, kind of wounded puppy stuff. You know, I could tell his family dynamic was a bit neglectful and not out of a lack of finances. They were quite well off, but just, you know, left him to his own devices. And so I could tell he always needed to be babied. He was the baby of the family and he just really, if he was sick, you had to coddle him. If something went poorly, you had to make sure he was okay. But that was okay. I liked taking care of him. I liked helping him. And I thought that it was reciprocated at the time. And so I'm like, that's fine. And then we decided it was time to have kids. I've always thought that I was put here on the earth to be a mother. I couldn't wait to have kids. We had our first daughter. We were just in absolute bliss mm. and just loving her and I mean, it was really so long of things going really, really well. And then when I had my second daughter, it was at first, before I did research, I would have described it as he kind of had a mental breakdown. Oh. He just couldn't hang. It was too much. It was like before it was, okay, we're in this fairy tale world. We have one baby, but with one baby, you can obviously take turns and take breaks 
and still do plenty for yourself. With two babies, everybody kind of divides and conquers and there's always something to do and there is little to no rest time. And so in the middle of the night, he was saying things to me. Uh, I was nursing our daughter. And so I would be on my sixth wake up and just totally exhausted. And while with our first daughter, he was so helpful and did lots. With our second daughter, he was not jumping to at all. And so I would say, Brian, can you please get up? Like, I really, I've gotten up like six times. Can you please take this one? He would tell me, gaslight me and say, no, you didn't. I haven't slept at all. I would have known if you got up. Oh, gee. I'm like, okay. So I was just not getting the support at all with her. And, you know, also you're just so susceptible with your own mental health. So I was definitely slipping into a depression and I was feeling very rageful because I was just so angry. And I really thought that like, it was all me. So I had gone on an antidepressant as recommended by my therapist and it was phenomenal. It was helping so much. I was regularly going to counseling. And then my therapist actually brought up as I kind of described some of the things that were happening she made a suggestion to me to look up narcissist. And so I'll backtrack a little bit to kind of give some of the examples of what I had shared with her. While there wasn't jealousy and control with other guys, there was control over the normal everyday things like my cooking, cleaning, how I drove, things that were just so weird. Like I really love to watch TV and have popcorn. And he would just little by little be like, God, that popcorn smells disgusting to literally can't have popcorn to, okay, you can have it, but don't crunch the kernels to, you know, the next morning he would passive aggressively clean everything except the popcorn bowl. And so there were just so many things. And all of these things were like these tiny little things that like, I would share this with a friend, but it was like a quirk, you know, everyone else validated that this was normal by sharing their own husband's quirky behaviors. And we'd say, ha ha, oh men. But what I wasn't realizing is the level at which this was manipulating me to change my behaviors and just how many of them there were. The breaking point was how he started to treat our kids. So because we were both undersleeping, apparently somehow he wasn't sleeping, I'm not sure why, but he always had to one-up me. So if I was tired, he was exhausted. If I was sick, oh, I can feel my throat, you know, is I'm about to have a cold. Or, or he would just avoid hard conversations altogether. If something was going on with me that I wanted to talk about, he would break into a skit and tell me something funny that happened at work. And I'm like, um, can we return it to me? Like he just couldn't be there for anything difficult or something that wasn't about him. And so how he started acting towards the kids, my daughter was then three and he screamed in her face, mm-hmm. horrible swear words. And he started, you know, kicking toys across the room, everything. It was like the whole house had to walk on eggshells. Everything in his life was a massive inconvenience. And just, he was just so irate and ready to go off like a switch at any point. He's smashing cabinets and just, why is this fucking thing here? Why is this, you know, and just really over the tiniest things, it's like, calm down. And one of my requests was we have a basement door to an unfinished basement with really sketchy steps that are dangerous. So my request was that we would keep the door shut and locked because my baby 
would just topple over and head down on them. And she was very curious. And you would think this was me asking him to never speak to his mother again. Mm. He flew off the handle telling me how unreasonable and outrageous that was for me to ask that of him. And I, I mean, it was just such a, in my mind, there's nothing you could possibly argue with this. This is just a fact. Do you want your baby to splat on concrete or is our job to keep them safe? And I had presented this list of kind of my non-negotiables because I had been getting to such a intense point, but he just is so self-absorbed that he couldn't see room for anyone else to have any human feelings. And, you know, I would have to wonder and gauge when, okay, if I needed to talk about something tricky, okay, when would be a good time? Should I do it right after I make him dinner? Should I do it when we don't have work? Should I do it on a day off when we're about to have fun or no? Cause I don't want to ruin the fun. Should I do it when we're already fighting? And so I just tried every single way, including asking him, when mm. is a good time to approach you about things that I want to discuss? The answer was truly never. And so there were, I was just not allowed to bring anything up. And then when my therapist recommended that I search to see what a narcissist is, things started dawning on me. Was he a poster boy at that point? Yes. And again, that feeling of being the snowflake I thought I was, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I've done it again. And, but they could not have been more different because his was such a Mm -hmm. underlying tone. You know, it was never so obvious. It wasn't pronounced. I think I would have been able to recognize those like nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. I can see that. I think anybody would have gotten trapped in that. Yeah. And so it just went from like, always playing the victim card and anything I could bring up, but what about him? And so at this point, my mother is pretty well into Alzheimer's disease. Oh, gee. And I've moved her into an assisted living. You know, things are just really hard and awful. And then there is the worst of it all, which is a claim of sexual abuse by one of the orderlies at the assisted living center. Okay, explain me to me wh- what's happening with that claim? Someone's sexually abusing your mother, you're saying? Yes. Okay. And, and who picked up on that? My mom shared this with one of the people who worked there. And this happened. This is real. Yeah. That's horrible. And so a whole police investigation opens up, and meanwhile, my daughter is 3 months old. Mhm. I I feel like I'm never someone who is particularly like feeling sorry for myself. I think I've really built a great career for myself. I do think that I'm making my dad proud. And I do think I've been dealt a fairly difficult hand. Of course, there's always going to be people who have it worse than me. But for the most part, I try to just keep pushing through. And, you know, me and my sister will often say to ourselves when people say, oh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's like, how strong really do we need to be? This seems like we we should be grazing the top here and that should be plenty. So, you know, just all of this stuff is coming to a head. I've got this raging postpartum depression, which turns out is probably more about my husband than my baby. Mm-hmm. And then this happens with my mom. As I'm looking at the description of narcissist, I'm just losing my mind because he is checking every single box. I think for someone who's in a healthy relationship, if someone told you to Google that, you'd be like reading through and you'd just be like, okay, why did someone tell me to read this? But for me, it was, why is this person describing my husband? 
it was just so spot on that it immediately felt like a death sentence to my marriage. All the advice said, get away and right now. When you saw the definition at that point in the relationship, it's understandable. But when you look back, if you went in reverse five years, 10 years or so, you know, more towards the beginning, would you still have matched him up with that, with all the boxes? That's the thing. So I've been spending a lot of time trying to do that. And there's definitely woven threads of it. Like the early, maybe the beginnings of it, perhaps? Yes. That didn't really emerge until finally there was enough pressure on the house. Right. Two children, all these things you talked about. Exactly. And all of a sudden now it was just, it just came out at that point. It just burst. Yes. And that is one thing that my therapist said, because I've been speculating this for months now. Mm -hmm. It is really, I guess that is kind of common that for a long time he was he was the center of my world and i could dote on him constantly and our first child was really just a reflection of how amazing he was mm-hmm. but now here we are we've both got full-time jobs we've got two kids we've got a house there's a lot to do there's a pandemic there's inflation there's so much to deal with as adults being an adult is very hard and i think it was just kind of the breaking point of he can't handle it anymore He's not getting me doting all over him anymore because it's just not realistic. We don't have the time for it. There are things that I think the more distance I get, more will come to me that will reinforce this. Mm -hmm. Because my sister gave an example from so long ago, before any kids, early on in dating, that I never would have recalled in a million years. And that was, we had gone out to a really fancy seafood and steak restaurant and it was my birthday. And my mom was paying for all of this. This was before she was sick, of course. He had gone to the bathroom, I believe, when we were ordering. And so we had already discussed what we were going to get. We were splitting maybe an appetizer or something. And so I was placing the order to the server. And I said, you know what, we're going to have this and we'll be splitting. And I guess when the server left the table, he turned to me and said, don't ever fucking emasculate me like that again. Uh. For my family to hear on my birthday at this upscale restaurant. I have no memory of this, but I imagine this must have happened a lot. And I just was so used to abusive language that in comparison, that seemed minor because I had truly flowed straight from Max to Ryan. Mm-hmm. And one of the the big ones I had to, so because of my aunt actually, who I lost to colon cancer, I have to get colonoscopies earlier. So even though I'm only in my early 30s, my doctor suggested that I go to get one. Mm-hmm. And so I scheduled it. You know, you have to schedule it so far out in advance, all the fun stuff. Drinking the poison that you get to drink the night before is very lovely. Yes. Oh, yes. So my husband, most normal people would maybe be like, oh, colonoscopy, that stinks. I'm sorry. So he was furious with me. And I couldn't quite tell why. And Wait a minute. Now he's furious because you're going to go get a colonoscopy? Yes. Yes. It was really inconvenient. Because it was inconvenient. Him. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that um, my colonoscopy that was on Monday was the Monday after Father's Day. The day after. So that meant that I would have to be doing the prep work on Sunday. Oh, right. On his day. Mm-hmm. And so uh. I said, oh, well... We can still do whatever you like. If you want to go out to eat, you know, I'll happily go and just sit and keep you company. He's an avid golfer. I said, you can go play golf if you want to. You know, we can do something with the girls. We'll make it work. I'm like, I think that I won't be 
needing to sprint to the toilet until the end of the day. So we should have a good chunk of the day together. And, or you can have a relaxing day. I'll pay for you to have a spa day and you can do that instead. Really share with me what you had in mind for your dream father's day. And I will create that into a reality. You know, of course there was no sympathy for the fact that I'd be incredibly uncomfortable or any of this would suck for me or that I would have to care for both kids while also trying to change diapers and change my own diaper, but that was fine. And so <laughs> one of his lines was, oh yeah, let me just go golf so that I, you can hold that against me too. Ah. And so it was truly. Mm. Yeah. He turned that one on his head. That's good. I mean, there was just, no matter what I was willing to do in any circumstance, it could be spun so that yet again, oh, this is me setting him up so that I can fight with him because that is my most favorite, most cherished thing. He was going to take anything and find a sharp edge on it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This is all kind of recent stuff that you're talking about right now. Now, you were saying you're busy in your own career. Didn't you have your own hair salon? Or- I do, yeah. So. Yeah, I've got a lot going on. In the middle of the pandemic, I did open my own hair salon and business is booming and I'm so proud of myself. Good. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think that really the straw that broke the camel's back was just that everything in my life really is wonderful. Like despite the losses I've experienced and some of the hardships, I'm really in a great place. I am so obsessed with my kids. They're so cute. I'm loving being a mother. I'm loving my work. I'm so fulfilled with both. I've decided to really start branching out and making new friends because I was realizing that I really wanted some more deep relationships. I have been going to the gym regularly. I'm really raising my emotional baseline, which is a term that I heard from. Are you familiar? No, I've never heard oh, that. Okay. I, no, I was in, I thought that, I thought, wow, I've picked up something here. That's great. Yes. My so emotional I actually, baseline. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's yes, wonderful. Through some research, I was listening to this podcast specifically on narcissism. That was one of the pieces of advice is to, instead of focusing so much on them, focus on you. And so I've been doing that, really just trying to be my best self. Honestly, as corny or embarrassing as they're supposed to be, I'm loving self-help stuff now and just diving in. Who doesn't want to be their best self. It's exciting to me. And I've been, you know, loving this research. It's good for you, but it's, it's good for everybody around you too. You know? Of course, except for Ryan. Yes. So where are you with him at this stage? I mean, are you divorced? Or are you in the throes of being getting divorced? Or So with that ultimatum and that reaction, I said we needed to start with a separation. And at the time I was, even though I was, it was feeling very gloomy i thought maybe with some space yes distance makes the heart grow fonder maybe i'll be able to let go of some of this resentment and kind of reset start anew and if we both kind of rejuvenate ourselves and come back together maybe we could work at this mm-hmm. within a couple of weeks i was shocked at how much better i felt immediately just not having that around the house i imagine yes. right Yes. It was just like, truly, I mean, there's reasons for these cliche terms of weight on your shoulders. I mean, it was just this waiting to kind of crumple into yourself, cringe moment of what's he going to say? What's he going to do? What mood is he in? I just was feeling so at peace. And it was just such a wake up call because I'm doing everything. 
all the grocery shopping, all the cleaning, cooking, caring for my kids, all the laundry, bringing them to school, going to my job, truly doing it exclusively alone. Mm. And it still felt easier than doing it together. And that was just so illuminating. I couldn't believe it was like both so sad and freeing all at once. Where do you think this story is going to go? What do you think is going to happen with him ultimately? So what's the snapshot three years from now, do you think? I actually just wrote out my goals for one year, three years, uh, five years, 10 years. Can you share? So my goal is in one year to be divorced. I have a meeting with my divorce lawyer for the first time this week. My goal in three years is to maybe start to meet someone who is healthy and loving. I want to stay in my house for the consistency for my daughters. And they go on with more fun personal and business goals. But that's kind of the gist of it. I'm, I'm very decided. There was a long time, really like a full year of limbo where I sat with this. So I sat with the knowledge of knowing he was a narcissist and my therapist had recommended to observe for six months. And so that's what I did. And I just wrote things down and tracked patterns, just looked and compared. That is when I decided this really is not something that can change. Mm -hmm. All the experts are right, believe it or not. There is such a deep sadness about losing this because I do love this man. But now that I've seen this and that I've woken up to his narcissism, I I can't go back. There's no going back. You can't unknow it. It's like, I don't know if you've ever smoked a cigar or cigarette before, but it's like when you learn to inhale and then you can't not inhale. (laughs) I remember trying to practice with a friend with smoking a cigar one time and then course the throat was killing me I'm like I'm not a smoker I'm not made out for this but then I can't do it because I can't undo learning that behavior and this is pretty much the same thing I truly I can't unsee what I know every time he's still regularly begging for me back promising changes doing so many he gave me the most beautiful Christmas gift he started he picked up watercolor painting which is so unlike him Mm -hmm. but I had said that he needed to work on himself. Mm-hmm. So this he delivered. So he he picked that up. So he wrote me this beautiful, I can't even encompass it all because it was both an inside joke plus art, plus this beautiful poem. I mean, it was just like, knock it out of the park, 10 out of 10, most incredible gift. And gives it to me on Christmas day, even though I said we weren't going to do Christmas gifts for each other because it's just too painful and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, and kind of confusing at this time too. Um, it is yeah it's like what do I get you socks and so he didn't respect that but he gave me this incredible piece and I was just crying of course and there's so many things that it seems like to someone without the experience and without having done the research he's made all the changes I've asked for but still every time we're together so this was Christmas Eve we had the most glorious day the girls were in pure bliss we had a marshmallow snowball fight I mean it was adorable It was the most innocent, loving fantasy day. That evening, he had announced that he was going to be staying over because he wanted to wake up for Christmas Day. And I said, okay. Then he decided at midnight, once our Santa duties were complete, I'm sleeping in the bed. And I said, well, no, I'm I'm not comfortable with that. You know, I I really wish you had brought this up earlier and not sprung it on me at midnight on Christmas Day when I'm trying to go to sleep. 
and he blew up. It went into this huge fight. He was physically blocking me from leaving the room. I said, I'm not talking about this now. We can set up a time. As I told you, we're, we're going to give it the three month separation and then we'll discuss after the holidays. I'm sticking to that. Mm-hmm. He was getting loud. I'm like, are you truly going to wake up our babies and ruin Santa right now? It was so horrific. Mm-hmm. And to think, but I'm almost grateful for it because otherwise I could be tricked. If he could sustain this good behavior. Yeah, he couldn't pull it off for an entire day. And he could keep me, but he truly, he can't make it a full day. There's always, and sometimes it's shorter and sometimes it's a little longer, but thank God, I truly am so grateful that he shows his true colors by the end of every visit together because it helps me to be strong and to know again and again, no, nope, in case I have a moment of weakness, no. It's not possible. Yeah, you've seen this This is who he is. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think you've got a terrific plan. You know, I've asked a lot of domestic violence counselors about somebody who really has problems, somebody who is abusive in whatever way, you know, kind of like, you know, what's what's the forecast on these people turning it around and, and, you know, whether they have therapy or not, or they just want to be better people and all that. And every time there's a silence and... If I ever get any kind of a number out of anybody, it's like single digit small number percent. It just, it's it's almost like don't even bother. Well, because the whole thought behind narcissism is that they are so in them, their own heads that they couldn't possibly think that they're the one. He's constantly accusing me of thinking I'm cheating, which is hysterical because mm-hmm. I am so busy. I don't know where I would possibly fit that in. I am barely fitting in showers right now. And... It couldn't possibly be that he is the problem. It has to be some external reason yes. that is outside of his control. And so, yes. of course, if you can't see, and I've tried to explain this to him, but of course it will never cut through. But because he can't see that what he's doing is wrong, he could never possibly change these behaviors because he doesn't think they're real. And I think that that's across the board for many people. If they can't acknowledge their own stuff, then there's nothing to be changed. It is sad, you know, it it had such potential, but it took a lot of years for it to unpack itself, but now you know what's in there. Mm-hmm. And I think your outlook, I think your plan is terrific. You know, I would just be careful and be safe. Have you had conversations with domestic violence counselors or anybody at any of those places? Yes. So I actually did because, you know, when I was first questioning it of just like, is this really... So I had called the domestic abuse hotline. Good. Oh, you did? The national one. Good. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Good. Mm -hmm. And so at first I was going to like laugh me off because in this case, it just really, there wasn't much. My example of physical stuff was we were at a birthday party for my niece. So these are three-year-olds opening presents and she was trying to get in there and help open like all little kids do. But this was extremely humiliating for my husband because he has very unreasonable expectations of how a child should behave. But instead of him just letting her, pulling her away or saying, let her open it by herself or whatever he wanted to do, he's kicking me in the back. Oh. For no one else to see, but in front of everyone, kicking me repeatedly in the back and saying, make her stop like this under his breath. And he is just getting increasingly enraged. I'm just describing what I think are just kind of tiny things, but I was protecting again and I wouldn't share any of these details with people because he made it seem like such a betrayal. There are problems. It's it's not anyone else's business or because we have the same friends, 
it would get around to our whole friend group. So it was like, I had no trusted confidants to share with. And as a result, it just gets worse and worse without you really realizing because it's these really subtle shifts. I just commend you for, for staying yourself the whole time, just being yourself and not succumbing to all this and putting a big emphasis on keeping yourself straight and your daughters too. You know, I remember our kids when they were little and it's a huge responsibility. It's one, one responsibility in life you can't shake off. So do you have anything you want to leave us with? Any advice you want to? I think I'd just say from early on, this is how I plan to approach a new relationship whenever I'm ready for it. Yeah, that's good. That I will go into it and any, any of the littlest things, I am just going to open up the discussion to give feedback to any of my friends, whether it's something as small as he didn't open the door for me or he said this and I thought that that was odd. I just want so much outside perspective and I would advise others to do the same. Don't protect, don't cover for them because the second you do, you lose any additional outlook on what's going on. And obviously anyone you're talking to is someone who probably cares about you and could give you that insight to be like, no, that that's more than a little weird or that seems very off. And to just not run with that and excuse behaviors, especially if you're seeing them early on, because those are the early on behaviors we get. Like you say, it's not like you're getting punched in the face at the end of your date. You're just getting a little underlined jab. So I'd say that that would be my biggest takeaway. If you would have given attention to somebody explaining warning signs, here is an unhealthy relationship. Here are some of the traits that go with it. Had it been at least put out in front of you, maybe a few times, maybe a couple times a year from sophomore, junior, senior year, high school, if they're put out there, then maybe some of it sticks or maybe as you well know, you may not see some of these things emerging from a boyfriend, but one of your friends might and say, do you remember that health class where they're talking about the warning signs? What is that? Abusive relationship or some domestic violence thing? And you might wake up and go, wow, that is true. You know, a lot of the things that they talked about, about jealousy, isolation, where you start to realize this person has put down every one of your friends and your friends have kind of been pushed out of the picture. You don't like your friends, so okay, I guess we have to avoid them. And whatever that list is, it's controlling stuff. It's the guy that takes your cell phone when you're not looking and starts looking through who you've been texting with. It's just all these things that maybe don't seem hugely big unless they happen all the time or if they make you uncomfortable all the time. And like you said, too, which I'm glad you did and shared, you find yourself blocking and tackling for this other person who's doing all this stuff. You know, you're making the excuses, you're cleaning up the mess for that other person. And I think that the more that is talked about, the better it will be really for all of us. You've been through the ringer two really bad times. Your antenna is about as up as high as it will ever be mm -hmm. for anybody about whatever that possible next relationship will be and that you will call that person on it immediately. And I think potentially they wouldn't even earn that response. Maybe I just identify those behaviors and be like, nope, you're checking too many boxes. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? right. Like, I feel like I'm, I don't want to be so guarded that I'm blocking out everyone, but I do feel like the upside to recognizing them early is you're not invested. You don't have kids. You don't have a house. Maybe you're not even in love yet. And that's definitely going to be the easier time to cut it off. Yeah, you'll be a tough sell on the next one. I can see. You really will. <laughs> I know. I hope so. <laughs> well, Lauren, look, thank you so much for getting together with me. And 
I think for a lot of people who come on to the When Dating Hurts podcast and have an opportunity to go through their story, most of them have written me back a day or so later saying, wow, you know, I didn't realize that that it was like cathartic to come on. I mean, it's so true. I mean, these are stories no one has ever heard. And I just have so many of them. It's horrible. It does feel great. I still have the same embarrassment and guilt and shame associated with them. But it feels amazing to be like sharing them for the good rather than burying them deeper and hoping and wishing that they hadn't happened. And, right. you know. Right. And there's no doubt that people listening to this will say that has so many similarities to this relationship mm -hmm. I was in or I am in or my friend is in or my sister's in or my brother's in a relationship with a, with a girl that pulls all this stuff yes. all the time. Exactly. So I think there's a big benefit all over the place with this. And I just want to thank you so much for stopping your day. And I know you're a busy person. I'm sure you're on your feet quite a lot. And when you're not, mm -hmm. you're chasing kids around on your hands and feet, probably. So Yeah, this actually felt great to sit for this stretch of time. <laughs> <laughs> and I just appreciate you so much. I think that it's so unbelievably impressive that you were able to take such an excruciatingly painful experience and turn it to be able to help people. It must be both so painful and helpful to still be able to talk about your daughter and be able to help people to avoid a similar experience. I do feel like it's one of those things that she would want me to do because I see you, I mean, I can see you on the screen here. I know others won't be able to, you know, I see a lot of her and you and I hear her and just about everybody I speak with. So you know, yeah. it, it really, it brings me close to her. I feel like I'm kind of channeling her to some degree. So look, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you and so much, Bill. I hope to be in touch with you again sometime, please. Me too. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank my guests and my listening audience for their support. It is clear our listeners look for and play Survivor episodes above all others. They get caught up between the forces of good and evil. All the time pulling for the moment a victim becomes a survivor. I am open to other victims and survivors who want to join with me on the When Dating Hurts podcast. We can shine a bright light on the epidemic of dating and domestic violence. We can improve lives and save some innocent people from a lifetime of broken dreams. If you want to tell your victim or survivor story, please contact me at BillMitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. That's BillMitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com.